Welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and agriculture brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association in conjunction with 89.9 WERU, your community radio station. I'm your host, Caitlin Barker, and this month our show is a little bit different because I've traveled down to Scarborough and I'm meeting with Emily Springer of Meeting House Farms. So great to have you here. Thanks for welcoming me to your farm. Thanks for coming down. It's so nice to be here in person. Yeah, great. So do you want to start off by just talking a little bit about what's going on here in your farm? Sure. Uh, well, we have Meeting House Farm. We're an herb farm in Scarborough, as you mentioned. We also grow heirloom vegetables, and we have an on-farm apothecary as well. In addition to all that, we also run a collaborative of other Maine and Northeast farmers now uh, that also grow herbs and we help them as they're getting started. We help with quality assurance and we sell all of their herbs on our website, meetinghouse.farm. Amazing. So talk to me about how this all started. Have you been a farmer forever or is this new? Well, it's, it's a long story, but I'll try to keep it brief for this. Uh, I grew up in a family that I grew up in a farming family. Uh, my, my dad was an, or is an engineer and we, while we weren't specific farmers, we always had a homestead. So I grew up with chickens and cows and sheep and growing our own food and using plants first as medicine. I was very fortunate to grow up in that environment. And then my mom's extended family was all farmers. So even though we weren't specifically farmers or more homesteaders, when I would go to my grandparents' house, there were dairy cows and I spent a lot of time tromping around and watching horses being born and, you know, really understanding how a farm works. So that, that was kind of how I grew up. I went to college and graduated with an international relations degree in economics and nothing to do with farming. <laughs> it just screams herbalism, right? Right. Totally. <laughs> And I worked in financial services for 20 years. Uh, and after 20 years in financial services, it was, about, it was actually about 15 years, I realized I kind of came back to my roots. During that time, I had twin boys. I started wanting to grow our own food and grow our own medicine. And when I was 33, I started really being interested in growing medicinal plants. Around 35, I started studying with Deb Sewell and really got much more interested in herbs. And a couple of years later, I was using herbs for my family regularly. And we ran out of elderflower in the middle of the winter. My children had a cold and elderflower is really great at reducing upper respiratory congestion. Well, elder, as you know, probably is native to me. We have elders all over the place. I had elders in our yard. I saved it, dried the flower, and I just ran out. And I thought, well, surely there is some place that I can purchase elderflower that's been grown locally. I searched them. I searched everywhere. No elderflower to be found. I ended up ordering it from Mountain Rose Herbs in Oregon. And when the package arrived, it was elderflower, and it was grown in Bulgaria. <laughs> Jeez. I was like, wait a minute, something is so wrong with this picture. Somehow we have to fix this. Mm -hmm. And being the farmer daughter that I am, I thought, wow, we there's an opportunity here. It took me a few more years to extricate myself from the corporate life. 
in that time, my husband and I purchased the land that we are now stewarding, uh, which is a an urban farm here in Scarborough. And it is from 1731. It's a really historic farm. It's a really special piece of land. And we're really honored to be able to steward it and bring it back to being a farm. It spent about 40 years without any farming activity until we until we took until we started stewarding it again. So that's kind of how it all started. And it I did a lot of apothecary work at first when I left my corporate job. And then very, very quickly I realized I couldn't grow enough, even from my own, even for the demand that hmm. just, you know, what I was producing. So I reached out to a couple of farmer friends that I'd met at a biodynamic farming course I took through Avena Botanicals. And I said, Hey, would you would you be willing to grow some herbs? They said, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. That was Patch Farm. Mm -hmm. And that's a certified organic farm, Maka member, and also Power Herb Farm in Falmouth. And they both grew herbs. And from that, the collaborative was born. Hmm. So we started using all my business knowledge to create an e-commerce platform. And it's just been growing ever since. Wow. So tell me more about the collaborative. And we can jump right to that to start. Um, Great. Yeah. So the collaborative uh, started with, like I said, the two farms and us, mm -hmm. and we we made an e-commerce platform. And I started creating uh, a way for farmers to be able to grow herbs and not have to deal with all the stuff that farmers typically don't like to deal with. Those things are social media, e-commerce, packaging and shipping, customer service, quality assurance, label picking out, the graphic design stuff, all of that stuff was stuff that either I could do or had connection with someone who could do that. And it's the stuff that really makes the barrier to entry in growing herbs and selling them pretty high. And, and there is a, there is a high barrier to entry in this industry and was really trying to reduce that. Mm -hmm. Um, and also meet demand. <laughs> and I will tell you, we still cannot meet demand. That is my biggest challenge. With 25 farms currently in the collaborative, we still sell out of everything pretty much all the time. It's the, yeah, the our problem is not selling. Our problem is growing enough. The collaborative really started in the first collaborative packaging was done in December of 2019. And you know what happened in 2020, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. but it worked out okay because the farms were still farming mm -hmm. and we had an e-commerce site. So it was, it actually wasn't, it was maybe more challenging, but it still worked. Mm -hmm. So we were, we were getting started. So it's only been three years and we've just been growing um, exponentially this year we're continuing to grow and we've changed our business model a little bit so that we have picked a few farms to be our nurtured farms those are farms where we do all of their social media we they have specific bio pages on our website I go there and give them consulting about dry rooms which is a really important part of herb farming and um, we do all of their labeling packaging one thing that's super important to me is that for these farms, we're really highlighting the farm itself. And so when you go on our website, you can see where your herbs are coming from. And when you get the pat the bag, it says this was grown at Patch Farm. It's just very clear and very transparent. So we do all of that for these farms. Um, 
now we're also offering a retail program. So for farms that don't want to grow too much, they're just, it's a little bit of a hobby. We're still saying, great, grow the herbs because we have such demand and they can bring them here to the farm. And we just, we call those our community grown herbs now. And we just combine them with others. And that's how we can meet some volume. Okay. So farms don't have to be purely herb farms. No, absolutely not. In fact, we really love farms that grow vegetables or cannabis to also grow medicinal herbs because uh, it's bringing biodiversity to the soil and it's also bringing diversity to that farm's revenue stream. Mm -hmm. And how can people, um, the general public, access these herbs that are the collaborative is producing? So the very best way is to go to meetinghouse.farm. Mm -hmm. That's you can see all the farms, you can learn about the farms, you can learn about our programs, and you can also purchase herbs directly there. We also have a couple of, of um, wholesalers in the area that stock our herbs. Almost all of the co-ops in the area, so that's Belfast Co-op, Blue Hill Co-op, Portland Food Co-op, uh, Lois is Natural, they all have our herbs. Um, and then, yeah, those are, those are the big ones. Mm -hmm. Great. So for those listening before, um, Emily and I sat down to chat, we went for a walk on the property outside and Emily has a beautiful piece of property that they're stewarding with a lot of different beds growing a lot of different things. So I have a lot of questions about what you're growing and how you're growing, but do you want to talk a little bit about what biodynamic farming means for, to you and here? I would love to. So we, as I mentioned earlier, I did take an 18 month biodynamic farming course with Deb Sewell. That was a really amazing, wonderful experience. And we are a biodynamic farm, although we are not certified biodynamically, um, we are certified by Mopka. And biodynamic farming in its essence is like the, I describe it as the very best organic. So we do not use anything synthetic on our farm at all. And there are some exceptions. You can use synthetic things and still be an organic farm. But everything that we do is we try to have it come from our farm. And we look at the farm as an organism itself. That's one of the reasons we have chickens because we use their manure to feed the plants. So you were looking at the as at the farm as almost a closed a closed system. Mm -hmm. So you want to have every piece in that system, and so our compost has our chicken manure in it. We try to use you know if we're getting boxes, we use those boxes when we're making new rows. So we're trying to use what is here uh, rather than going outside. Now there are exceptions. We sometimes have to buy in compost. I mean. You know, um, the other really important piece of biodynamic farming, we use something called biodynamic preparations. In the spring, we spray something called BD500, and it sounds very technical. And really what it is, in layman's terms, I would say it's basically spreading a probiotic across the farm so that it really helps all the microorganisms to grow. And then we use other herbs the rest of the season as our fertilizers and our pesticides. For example, if we have powdery mildew, you can make a tea from yarrow and spray it on the ground and on the leaves of the plant. And it really inhibits the powdery mildew. Um, that's a great that's example great. of biodynamic farming. We use nettle as a fertilizer. I ferment nettle after it's gone by for using as our own herbal drink. Um, and that is a great fertilizer for the plants. So 
at its essence, that's the simple way to describe biodynamic farming. So it feels like everything has a purpose in yeah. in this process. Like everything help has a purpose and may help another plant that another plant may help another. Absolutely. Plant. Like we grow absinthe because it's a great, I'm going to use in quotes, you can't see me, but I'm using quotes. <laughs> it's a great pesticide, right? Mm-hmm. We use it to get rid of some um, bugs are really eating the plants. We use, we can use absinthe tea to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to get rid of them. And I noticed when we went for a walk, um, you have a lot of cardboard laying down and you mentioned no till. Can you talk about how you manage your beds? Yes. So we do not till anything here. And to create a new row in our farm, we use cardboard. Uh, we've been partnering with Agron Appliance and we go get, they save all their refrigerator boxes for us, which are big, huge pieces of cardboard. And they're exactly four feet wide typically. So they make a great row in a, at a farm. So we just lay those out and put six inches of compost on top. If it's going to be a perennial bed, which most herbs are perennials, uh, we put another like inch to two inches of wood chips on top of that. And we let that sit. Uh, truth is it's great to do that in the fall. What really happens in real life is I'm too tired in the fall yeah. to make new rows. <laughs> yeah. And so I end up doing it in the spring and I will tell you, it's fine. It mm. is maybe not the optimum, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. You can still plant your new plants in those rows. Uh, and then by the time the plant's roots get down to that cardboard, the cardboard is so soft that the plant's roots can go through. But during that time, the plant's roots are getting to the cardboard the cardboard has killed anything that's underneath. The other thing we do is mow around our rows rather than tilling or reseeding or anything like that. We actually created a whole field on top of brambles without ever tilling or ripping them out. We just kept mowing. We put the cardboard down and we just kept mowing and mowing and mowing. And we have, well, you saw, we have basically grass to walk on. It's really nice. Yeah. It's lovely. I mean, Besides the fact it looks great. It looks like it's pretty easy to maintain. Yeah. 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 Nice. Well, I'm thinking now of um, home gardeners who maybe want to start getting into herbalism. And I know you teach a class called Grow Your Own Apothecary. So I was wondering if you could talk about what an apothecary even is and why we should grow one. What are the benefits? I love this topic. Thank you for asking (laughs) me. Uh, So 200 years ago, Every home had a room. They often called it a still room or they would call it the simple room. And in that room was an apothecary. In that room was basically everything that it was typically a woman that a woman would need to take care of her family should they get sick. And everything in that room was grown in a garden outside of the house. It was just common. Everyone did it. And we've somehow lost that knowledge over the last 200 years, but, or it's it's no longer commonplace, but we haven't lost the knowledge. It's there. And I would love it if every home went back to having a closet or a cupboard where you have basic simples that you've grown in your garden and preserved to keep your family healthy through the winter. An apothecary is basically a collection of preserved plants that can be used to support the health of yourself and your family. Um, And you can have an apothecary that sells items, we do that, or you can just have an apothecary for yourself and your family. And that's really, when I I teach the class, Grow Your Own Apothecary, that's what it is. It 
it talks about 12 plants you can add to your garden, or you can create a specific garden for this that then they have, they're all multi-purpose and they also are beautiful. And so it's a great way to get started. Uh, I teach that class at the Mafka store in Freeport. I'm also teaching that class at the Common Ground Fair. Um, and sometimes I teach it in the fall online as well. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. <laughs> so what are, if you could pick just a few herbs, if someone's getting started this year, what should we be planting or what seedlings should we be looking for? So some great seedlings that I would suggest lavender, which sounds basic, but lavender is great for chest congestion. It's also great for relaxation and it looks really pretty and it's a pollinator plant. So it kind of ticks all my boxes. Uh, it's also a great border plant. Uh, another would be ladies mantle, mostly because it's really beautiful. Another pollinator plant really great for skin tone and for uter it's a uterine tonic. So mm -hmm. that's a great woman's herb. And then I would say calendula would be a great one to start with. Calendula is really great for the skin. It has these beautiful sunny yellow flowers. It is an annual, but it self seeds. It's super easy to grow. And in combination with ladies mantle and lavender will look really gorgeous. Mm -hmm. um, beyond that, I would say echinacea would be a nice, easy, slightly taller. I'm kind of working backwards. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've noticed, but like ladies mantle and lavender might be like a border. Calendula might be a little taller. Echinacea is taller than that. Um, and that is a perennial, super easy to grow, great for immune support. Anise hyssop, another pollinator plant, absolutely gorgeous, great in a tisane. Mm -hmm. And elder is another one, an elder bush at the back of that. Mm -hmm. So that was my grow your own apothecary in two minutes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Taking notes so I can know what I need to be growing. You mentioned it is in. Can you talk about what that is and how you make it? Yes. Well, a tisane is what we in the United States typically call an herbal tea. But here's the thing. There is no such thing as herbal tea because tea is a specific plant typically grown in a tropical region. We can't grow it here in Maine. Mm -hmm. Uh, you could potentially grow it as an annual, but they're very picky. It just wouldn't really do here. So anytime you hear the word tea, that's a this it is the name of a specific plant that is has caffeine in it. Mm -hmm. All of the things that you can purchase from Infusion Herb Company, which is our apothecary, are blends of herbs that we've grown here in Maine, and that makes them either an herbal tisane or an herbal infusion. Those are synonyms. So you can call it an herbal infusion. You can call it a tisane. If you travel to Europe at all, they don't call anything an herbal tea. They call it a tisane hmm. or an herbal infusion. Yeah. So that herbal tea is a uniquely American way of naming a blend of herbs that you pour hot water on. Hmm. So. Which I enjoyed a little while ago, a nettle tisane. Yes, nettle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. If you're just tuning in, this is Common Ground Radio on WERU-FM 89.9, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. I'm Caitlin Barker, and I'm here today speaking with Emily Springer of Meeting House Farm in Scarborough. So um, let's jump to the farm itself and how it functions. Do you do all this work yourself? I know you mentioned you have employees. How do you manage that? How many employees... How do you keep the farm going? Yeah, yo, I can't, I can't do it all myself for sure. <laughs> um, 
So we have every season, we have Mothka apprentices that come and they're usually here late April through the end of November because that's pretty much our growing season. Our apprentices learn everything. They, they're basically my shadow. They learn how to lay down a new row. They know how to harvest. They learn how to process. They learn dry room management. They learn greenhouse management. They learn business management. And I tell them up front, we're about a 50-50. So 50% of the time is going to be out in the field. 50% of the time you're learning how to run a business like this. Uh, those are my two main go-tos. And then we hire three high schoolers every summer to do picking, weeding. There's a lot of weeding, that kind of work out in the field. Mm-hmm. On top of that, we have someone who manages all of our social media for both us, Meeting House Farm Proper, and also all of our collaborative farms that are part of the nurture program. And we have somebody who helps us with our administration mm. because emails, I would be drowning. Um, I already am drowning, to be honest. <laughs> and so we have somebody help there. So that's, I mean, that's a pretty decent group of mm-hmm. people at, you know, at full strength in the middle of the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Does your family get involved at all? I know, no, you mentioned you are have a partner and two teenage twins. Well, two of the teenagers we hire in the summer are my boys. Nice. <laughs> um, so yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we love as a family to work on things on the weekends. And my husband is my, my maintenance man for sure. He does all of the maintenance, all of the building. He built the chicken coop. He built the greenhouse. He does all of that. Um, he runs all the irrigation for us. So yeah, very, nice. very involved. So um, you and I talked a little bit about a grant, I think. Yes. I through. Tell me a little bit about that and how you accessed it and how maybe other herbal farms or farms in general could access it? So we're really excited that we were, um, we're part of the, the uh, specialty crop block grant that's coming for 2023. And we partnered with Mafka to write that grant. Um, and that basically is to support our work in growing the collaborative. So the idea behind it is to share the news, share the message, help other farmers, specifically farmers that are already growing, but they could they could be new farmers, but there is a there's a lot of opportunity for farmers that are already growing vegetables mm. to add medicinal herbs. The market for medicinal herbs is $86 billion this year. It's huge. Um, that's worldwide, but it's there's a huge opportunity for farms in Maine to add medicinal herbs to their crop plan. That diversifies this, the um, the revenue stream for the farm. It also adds diversity to the soil. A lot of herbal annual herbs can be used as rotation crops. So you could do milky oats, for example. Those improve the soil. You can also harvest the flower heads at milky stage and they sell really well. So, you know, there's a lot of, of synchronicity that can really help a vegetable farmer if they're willing to put in some medicinal herb crops too. Um, and then there's also the concept of, so you have a pound of carrots that's maybe 350 a pound and a pound of nettle is $43. Uh, now there's potentially more work going into that nettle because you have to dry it and dry the dry room is really important, but that kind of div- diversity in someone's revenue stream really helps us as we're going into a lot of climate change. Mm-hmm. It's really impactful. So I am with that grant. I'm and, and Mafka. We're you know like spreading the word. Hey, 
this is a great way to diversify your income mm-hmm. and your firm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I have a feeling farmers who may listen to the show may be interested in finding out more information about that. If they are, should they contact you through your website? Yeah, or? the very, very best thing to do is go onto the website and sign up for our not very often newsletter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you'll know we only we only bring new farms into the collaborative every January, February because it's a lot of work um, and we want to take really good care of those farms. So this grant comes in this fall and then it will really be for next season. So the very best thing to do if you're interested is sign up for our newsletter. We will let you know, as, or you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. It's Meeting House Farm. You can sign up for our newsletter. You'll find out when we open things up and then you apply. I think it's $25 to apply and you'll get a consultation, and then we figure out which which of our programs is best for you, and then we go from there. So if you're interested at all, the best thing to do is just sign up for our newsletter. Yeah, that could be a great resource. That's exciting, I bet, for some farms. Um, A few minutes ago, you mentioned a dry room, and I know when we were walking around your farm, you mentioned that, that it's like a really important part of the herb process. Can you talk to me more about what it is and why? Yeah, so the dry room is what makes or breaks your harvest. Um, herbs are actually really easy to grow. They don't need a lot of water. They don't need a lot of nutrients. It's not. It's easier than vegetables. They don't need a lot of space. You can typically grow perennials, but you have to pick them at the right time and you have to dry them in the correct environment. And that is where a lot of crop harvests get lost. And it's it's really sad. So a lot of what I do is visit with farmers and help them get their dry room set up so that it is a safe place to dry because it needs to be, um, there needs to be no contamination. And then also so that it's successful. And what makes that? Well, our dry room is wire wrapped with hardware cloth to keep rodents out. If you have a rodent get in your dry room, you lose your whole crop. That's can be thousands of dollars, not good. Um, You want to have it be dark. Um, There's some schools of thought out there that say dry under sun and that absolutely bleaches the herbs and takes a lot of their volatile oils out. So we dry in a completely dark room. We keep it at 80 degrees and we keep it at 30% humidity. There's a few herbs that need to dry at a little higher humidity. So when that, when we put those in, we just take everything else out. But pretty much if you can do 80 degrees, 30% humidity, dry space, that's awesome. Um, the other pieces, you can, we cannot sell anything that has cross-contamination. So in your, if you're not growing for production, if you're just growing for your family, you can stack herbs on top of each other. You can dry them together, whatever, no problem. But if you're growing for production, you can't have a piece of orange calendula in your lavender. We can't sell it. Mm-hmm. And it's super easy for that to happen as the plants dry. So those are the things that we consult on and we help people know what, know how to do it. So when you're utilizing your dry room, it's a single crop at a time, or do you have things in place to keep them separate? In we have dry things room? in place to keep them okay. separate. So we have racks with, with solid barriers mm-hmm. so that the calendula can't fall through to the mm-hmm. lavender. Mm-hmm. And then we have a lot of the time we'll have, I, I mentioned we have these modular um, racks and, you know, one whole rack will be calendula and then another whole rack might be Tulsi mm-hmm. um, so that there's very limited cross contamination. Yeah. And for the farms who are part of the collaborative, are they growing and drying everything on their own? Yes. And Okay. Yes. We don't do any drying 
for any, I have done some drying for other certified organic farms. Hmm. I don't do any drying for farms that are not certified organic because that's really difficult to manage. Mm -hmm. Um, and we only do it when they're in a pinch. Mm -hmm. uh, we have our dry room full all the time. We can run a thousand pounds of fresh through the dry room every week. That's what I was going to ask what the time frame is for yeah. drying out. So yeah. I would say on average in that environment, five days is a good estimate. Mm -hmm. Some herbs are faster, roots are longer, but five days will dry calendula in that kind of environment. And calendula is a tough one to get to dry mm -hmm. appropriately. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of the process of drying, when you, you're done, I know you probably, you mentioned like just selling herbs, single herbs in a collaborative, but you also have the infusion herb company. So what kind of products are you making and selling with those herbs? So once typically once they're dry, we infuse those dried herbs into an oil. Um, we always use jojoba. So it's actually a wax ester and not an oil. And then we'll sell that bulk through Meeting House Farm or those, those infused oils are then blended into facial serums and body serums and salves for Infusion Herb Company. We also blend the dried herbs into tisanes for Infusion Herb Company as well. So what kind of products for, like I'm looking at the salves, what's in the facial one? I'm just so curious. The, so the very, our, our best selling Infusion Herb Company product is called Glow. It is a vitamin C serum for the face. It's made with calendula and rose hips and jojoba. And it's very, it also has vitamin A and vitamin C in it. Those are from the plant. So it's a really simple product and it's amazing for teenagers with acne. Um, my children would probably tell you that. And it's amazing for aging skin. Calendula is really a support for our skin. It brings blood flow to the capillaries wherever you actually put it on your skin. And what that does is allow the cells to produce more collagen. Collagen heals the skin. So if you have acne, it helps that. If you are aging like I am, it helps to keep your face looking young. So it, that's our glow face serum. Okay, cool. Where And where can you find it? So you can get that at Lois's, but you can also get it at um, infusionherbcompany.com. That's the best place to find it. Nice. Well, I'm going to have to go look at it. There you I, go. I have a teenager and also I am aging. So, <laughs> uh, And for those listening, Emily's skin is glowy. I want to talk some of the challenges of herb farming. What are some of the biggest challenges you encounter and how do you navigate them? Well, one of the biggest challenges for us is that we are also an urban farm and that has been very challenging. Um, I thought everybody would love to have a farm in their backyard and that is not the case. So that, that is a challenge. I think another challenge with herb farming is just the people don't know what it is and they don't understand it. And so there's a lot of education, but I also see that as an opportunity. And so I love what I do. I really do. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question. What draws you to herbalism? I, the plants are such amazing teachers for us and they're anytime the plants work. I'm always amazed and it never gets old. I had, we had a fox attack on our chickens in January and we just had another one yesterday, but the one in January, the chickens were really injured. In fact, so much so that you could see the organs to the back of one of them. Um, I took her to the vet, had it, you know, irrigated, and then she was on antibiotics, but I used comfrey and calendula on her back wound and beeswax. 
And that chicken is fine. She's, she's healed. And I was so amazed at the power of the plants. And that's what draws me over and over again. I've been, I've dedicated my life to growing these plants Mm -hmm. and I'm still amazed every time. Like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) yes, of course it worked because the plants are, plants are amazing. Mm. They're the original mess. Mm -hmm. And so it's my joy to spend time with them all the time. What are some relatively common herbs that maybe have secret powers we don't know about? Oh, great question. Uh, Solomon seal. You probably have Solomon seal growing in your yard. Most people do. Solomon seal is amazing for joints. It's the root that is used. And if you dig the plant up, you'll see that the roots kind of look like an old craggy finger harvested. They can be made into a tisan. They're great for digestion, but really their superpower is joints and keeping your joints juicy. So as you age, Solomon seal can be a great tonic. Tonic means you can take it every day. So it's a pretty safe herb as well. So really helps keep your cartilage juicy. And when you say make it into into a tisane, do you chop it up and pour hot water over it? Or like, just like you can, any root. So this is a root. Anytime you're making a tisane out of a root, Mm -hmm. you want to boil it a little bit more than you would a leaf, which, you know, makes sense. You could, you could boil it with ginger be really tasty. So one of the really fun things we do when we go to the common ground fair, so you can find us at the common ground fair and we love to talk about herbs, uh, but we do a root bar at the common ground fair and it's all fresh root. We have Solomon seal and burdock and dandelion and ginger and turmeric and all these fun roots that have been grown by local farmers. And uh, yeah, so Solomon seal will be there. Nice. Yeah, uh, that sounds really fun. I'm buy, gonna... it by the, buy it by the pound. Yeah, it's super fun. I'm going to visit at the fair. How about uh, other herbs for general things like allergies or sleep or? Okay, let's start with allergies. Okay. Um, I could do this for hours. Yeah. Do we have hours? We don't have hours, but we do have some time. Okay. <laughs> um, so allergies, my number one plant for allergies, especially springtime is nettle. Nettle is an antihistamine. It really flushes the histamines out of your body. And anecdotally here at the farm, when we have apprentices who have seasonal allergies, the remedy is to send them into the nettle patch and they pick the nettles barehanded. They often have welts and the allergies are gone. Mm -hmm. So what's happening? The formic acid is what's in the little hollow stingers of the nettle. Formic acid is the same thing that's in a bee sting. And it brings inflammation out of your body by forcing the inflammation to a, a surface level. Uh, and I think that that's what's happening with the histamines. So really effective though, with seasonal allergies. Mm. The second plant that I would say with seasonal allergies is goldenrod. Everybody seems to think goldenrod causes allergies. It's actually ragweed. They both bloom at the same time, but goldenrod blooms in the fall and a, and a tisane out of goldenrod will really reduce upper respiratory congestion. Mm. Okay. That was allergies, sleep. My favorite sleep combination is valerian, passionflower, milky oats, and a touch of lavender. At Infusion Herb Company, we combine that together into an extract called sleep. And we have people that swear by it and Mm. they can't get enough of it. They have a little bit every night and they have sweet dreams. Okay. How about for anxiety? 
that's a harder one. Um, or calming depends, or peaceful. It depends on the type of anxiety. So mm-hmm. overall, I would say the best for a calm aspect is ashwagandha. It's a tonic herb from India. We grow it as an annual here. It's actually a perennial bush, but here we can grow it as an annual. It's a nightshade and you kind of grow it like a tomato uh, and you use the root. Taken every day, ashwagandha really helps us age gently and it helps with anxiety. It also helps you get a good night's sleep over time. It's not does not induce immediate sleep, but over time it helps you get a better night's sleep. That would be number one. And number two would be lemon balm and Tulsi. Oh, I have three. (laughs) (laughs) So lemon balm helps when you're feeling overwhelmed. So the anxiety that comes from feeling overwhelmed. Tulsi or holy basil is a, uh, it moderates, it's called an adaptogen, which means rather than it causes in our body the ability to moderate something. So if something's too high, it brings it down. If something's too low, it brings it up, right? That's what an adaptogen is in herbal medicine. And Tulsi or holy basil moderates cortisol. Cortisol is the chemical that our brains produce when we have too much stress or we're in a fight or flight situation, which many of us are in way too much these days. So Tulsi is a cortisol moderator. Um, so those three are all fairly safe and great to use as a tonic. Tonic means you can take it every day and they're also easy to grow. So Tulsi and ashwagandha grow really well together. Uh, lemon balm is a perennial. Tulsi ashwagandha are annuals here, although they're perennials in India. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And any of these things I'm talking about, you can get the seedlings from Meeting House Farm. Meetinghousefarm.com, you can pre-order the seedlings. And you can pick them up at the Mokka store on May 20th. Oh, in Freeport. Yeah. In we Freeport. have a yep. feeling sale happening there. Nice. So how about herbs for sore bodies? Herbs for sore bodies. I, so we already touched on Solomon seal, which is great for aching joints. Nettle is really great for arthritis because it's an anti-inflammatory uh, and it's great in the spring and the fall. Fresh nettle to Zen, which is what we've been drinking mm-hmm. is such a spring treat. Mm-hmm but you can also buy dried nettle and it works great. You can do a nettle extract or tincture as well. Um, and then comfrey is another herb. Comfrey is a little bit more controversial. It's not something you can take every single day. Uh, I try to, I, I explain it to people like, take it like you would an aspirin or a Tylenol. If you're really sore and achy, you could drink a cup of comfrey tea um, or you can put it topically if mm-hmm. you're not comfortable. Um, there is research that's been done that when there are certain compounds in comfrey that when isolated, if taken in high amounts can cause liver damage. Mm. So I always ask people, do you have any liver issues? If you don't have liver issues, then I personally, my own experience, I will drink a cup of comfrey tea when I'm achy and sore. Mm. Um, but there's also a topical, you can put it on topically and it's helpful for that too. How about any resources for people who want to learn more on their own? Like, are there books or um, classes or? So many books, so many classes. Uh, So my favorite books, um, How to Walk Like a Gardener by Deb Sewell is one of my favorites. And I think she just came out with a new one. And I don't know the name of that one. Those are great ways to just sort of get into herbs. Um, There's also a book by Rico Check 
call making plant medicine. And that's a little bit more specific on how to make an extract, how to make a salve. Um, I also teach classes at the Matka store pretty regularly about once a month. I think the next one coming up is Grow Your Own Apothecary and that's sold out, but I will be teaching one on how to make an extract coming up and then we'll have a tea blending class in the fall, how to make a salve. So I do a lot of that teaching. You can find a lot on our website as well, which is meetinghouse.farm and infusionherbcompany.com mm-hmm. is some more mm-hmm. great resources. And I bet any apprentice here is going to learn a ton. Yeah, our apprenticeship program, uh, definitely they learn mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. And do you find that you have a variety of um, people applying to be apprentices? Like in my mind, I think of it as like a young thing that people transitioning in life are doing before they start their own farm or something. But do you get a wide variety? Yeah. Well, right now I have a 42-year-old apprentice and a 22-year-old apprentice. Mm. I have a 32-year-old who works in the greenhouse. And then of course I have my 16-year-old plus another 16-year-old that work here in the summer and they also learn a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, very wide variety of Mm-hmm. folks that work mm-hmm. here. Nice. Um, when we were walking around your property, I noticed you also have a cool project going on over in the front. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you're developing? And this is like a benefit for anyone who has any green space that they might want to transform the way you are. So tell us about like fruit trees and oh, the... yeah. So we are, we are transforming our side yard into a food forest or, and an orchard. And we are growing specific orchard trees. We have three cherries, three pears, three apples, and three peaches. Plus I'm adding a Chicago fig because I really want it to work. I'll let you know. (laughs) I'll come back on in a little while, but you know, if it worked. Um, But around each of these fruit trees, we're planting plants, herbs that bring beneficial insects in that pull minerals deep from the soil so that they are helping these fruit trees to thrive. And that is a premise that came from biodynamic farming. So in a circle around each of these trees, are, we have ladies mantle, comfrey, yarrow, and bee balm. And those are there specifically to help the trees to thrive. Mm. We also have planted raspberries and blackberries and grapes and elders. And so, and blueberries and rhubarb and asparagus. So this is not our vegetable garden. It's just sort of a food forest project. Wow. Um, yeah, and it's really beautiful. If you're just tuning in, I'm Caitlin Barker, and this is Common Ground Radio on 89.9 FM, WERU, Blue Hill. I'm here today in Scarborough speaking with Emily Springer of Meeting House Farm. So you mentioned briefly that you also grow vegetables here. And so you've got an herb farm, you've got vegetables happening, but you're right in town. So how much land do you have here? And how do you how do you do it right in town for someone who lives in an urban setting? Well, it's definitely a challenge. Uh, It's also really convenient. Um, And I think a lot of people, it makes us very accessible for a lot of people because we're close to Portland here in Scarborough. Um, We have two and a half acres right in the middle of Scarborough. We're close to Route 1. You would never know there is a farm. Our farm is from 1731 and there was originally 100 acres here. The family that we purchased the farm from had sold all but two and a half acres when we purchased. So we are continuing to steward those two and a half acres and really bring them back to being a farm. Um, we were able to grow enough vegetables to feed our family, 
my parents largely. And then also we sell to local specialty shops like our heirloom tomatoes get sold to the cheese iron and here in Scarborough um, and potentially some other folks this year. So yeah, we're, we plant a good number of tomatoes, cucumbers, different lettuces, and it's all heirloom mm -hmm. and certified organic. And can people come right to the farm to buy it? Unfortunately, they can't. Okay. Um, this is so. This is one of the challenges of mm -hmm. being an urban farm. The town of Scarborough and our neighbors have requested that nobody come directly to the farm. So mm -hmm. the best way to get in touch with us, if you want to purchase herbs, is to purchase through online for the plant sale. You can purchase online and pick up mm -hmm. at the plant sale. You can also just come. Uh, we do typically sell out, so it's better to reserve in advance. And then uh, we were playing around with doing deliveries of vegetables last year. I don't know that we're going to do that this year, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we're still working through those challenges. So definitely there's challenges to being an urban farm. There's also benefits. And I feel like it's a really important thing for the earth to have urban farms. Um, it gives the pollinators, it gives the birds, the bees, the animals, a little place of sanctuary and it gives the humans that as well. One of the really amazing things about herbs is that they don't take a lot of space. And I, you know, tell people this all the time, like you can grow enough herbs on a quarter acre to dry 250 pounds. So if you, when you're growing herbs, a pound of fresh herbs roughly on average dries into about a third of a pound dried. So you lose a lot of water when you're drying, mm -hmm. right? And to be a, you know, to really be a functioning herb farm, 250 pounds is kind of the benchmark. So all of the farms in our nurture program are aiming to get to 250 pounds. They're not getting there the first year out, but that's kind of where they're going. Um, and, but you only need like a quarter of an acre to do that. That's not that much land. You just have to be dedicated to, to growing there. So are most of the farms growing like one or two varieties or are they growing quite a few and, and kind of accumulating that 250 or close to it with different varieties? Usually it's like five okay. varieties. And we, we spend every spring we get together and we say, okay, who's growing? We call it our who's growing what meeting. Mm. And so that not everybody's growing calendula yeah. um, is the yeah. idea, right? So we, we kind of share that out. So if somebody's growing hundred pounds of milky oats, great. Maybe somebody else is going to go Tulsi or we just kind of know who's growing what. And then that's some of the organization that Meeting House Farm provides too, is mm -hmm. just like, yeah, we, we need more bee balm. We need more blue corn flour. We don't need more Tulsi mm -hmm. potentially. Mm -hmm. And for the different various herbs, are you providing support on how to grow or, or is it pretty straightforward for each herb? Are they similar? They're pretty easy, most of them, but absolutely. So we, we try to have a, but like every other month we get together within the collaborative and just have an information share. So on those Zoom calls, people will say, well, have you grown it this way? Have you grown it that way? Have you harvested? Um, we just share knowledge and information that way. So yes, nice. we do support them there. Nice. For the upcoming seedling sale, what kinds of seedlings are going to be available? We have all of our heirloom vegetables available, which are lettuces, tomatoes, cucumbers, um, really amazing tomatoes. They're all, all of, all of the tomatoes are seeds from Meeting House Farms. So we have kind of developed those. They're not our varieties, they're heirloom, but they've been grown here for years now. Mm -hmm. um, we have ashwagandha, we have um, 
calendula, we have tulsi, we have a whole bunch of culinary herbs like basils and thymes, some are savory, um, pretty much a full variety. Nice. Yeah. And a lot of the medicinal. So anise hyssop, comfrey, pretty much everything I've talked about today, Solomon seal, uh, black cohosh, you can get at the seedling sale. But if you're interested, please reserve at meetinghouse.farm. We do sell out and folks get really disappointed when they come and they haven't reserved. So we're nearing the end of the time of our interview. And I'm wondering if you had to pick your top three herbs, could you do it? <laughs> no. <laughs> could you come up with three? I'll yeah. I'll try. I'll try. Okay. And why? And why? Okay. Uh, this is tough, but so every year at Meeting House Farm, we pick an herb. It's like the herb of the year, mm. right? And so this year, our herb is Althea officinalis, which is the marshmallow plant. Mm. So that would be my first choice. Marshmallow is first and foremost, absolutely beautiful. It's a member of the hollyhock family. The leaves are super soft and the flowers look a little bit like smaller hollyhocks. The root was originally used to make marshmallow, which is why it's called marshmallow plant, but it is a wonderful healer. It's great for inflamed gut. It's great for sore throats. Um, and yeah, that's, it's a really nice addition to any of our tisans. So marshmallow is one of those plants we sell out of all the time. We do have marshmallow seedlings in the sale. Uh, they, yeah, so marshmallow. That'll be on our t-shirts this year. Nice. Oh, yeah. Sneak information. <laughs> um, marshmallow. Then I would go to calendula because it's so multi-purpose. Yeah. Tell me some of the things. Calendula is good for heartburn and digestion, um, gut inflammation, skin wound, and for making your skin glow. So yeah, calendula for sure. Mm -hmm. And and we we can use it in different ways, like a tisane or a balm or cell. Yeah, yeah. or oh. as in an extract, like you okay. can use all those different forms okay. of both of these plants, mm -hmm. um, marshmallow and calendula. And then I think I'd have to say Tulsi. Um, we have so much stress in our lives as humans right now. <laughs> and Tulsi tastes really good. It smells good and it's really calming. And I think it's really good for our overall health. Cortisol is really one of our biggest killers. And so if you can moderate that and keep that under control, your body is going to be healthier. So all three of those are beautiful. All three of them are amazing support allies for us. And yeah, those are, those are my three right now. Hmm. And Tomorrow they, I might do different. <laughs> yeah. Are they all perennials? Calendula is an annual. Okay. And Tulsi is an annual. Mm -hmm. So you're planting those every year. Um, yeah. yeah. And with the Tulsi, are you drinking it as a tisane or? Yes. And yeah. it's also really good if you have a bush of Tulsi. I just, in the summer, I just pick a few sprigs of Tulsi and pop them in my water bottle. Mm. They work. Yeah. So good. That's another thing before we end. Herbal infused waters. Is that? Love them. Yeah. Tell me about some of your favorites. Tulsi, lemon balm, and lavender. Mm. And you're just plucking them and throwing them in your water yeah. bottle? Yeah. Okay. Or so for the farm, for our farm team, every in the summer, in our, throughout the year, we always have a special drink every day. In the winter, it's always a tisane of some sort. And the first person in gets the honor of making it for the day. <laughs> <That's> so fun. <laughs> so, and then in the summer, when it's hot, we have this big glass container of water and we 
somebody goes out and picks a huge bunch of herbs. And when I used to do farmer's markets, we would sell these and people loved them. So we'd make these beautiful bouquets of herbs that could then be taken home, rinsed off and put into water. Anise hyssop is really good in water, Tulsi, lemon balm, lavender, rose. Uh, I learned this from Deb Sewell at Avena Botanicals. And mm. yeah, it's a, I even put it just a big jar in my refrigerator and I, my family drinks out of it all day as well. Nice. That sounds very refreshing. Yeah. And try it. Yeah. I'm all about the drinks, like <laughs> having a variety of drinks. So that sounds great. Hydration Changing it up. Is so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're nearing the end. Thank you so much for um, joining me today and inviting me onto the farm and showing me everything you have going on here. It's pretty amazing. My pleasure. Thank you for coming. So fun to be in person. Yeah. And for those um, interested, check out Emily's website. All the resources mentioned today will be added into the show notes and we'll see you this fall at the fair. Absolutely. Yeah. And probably maybe classes in between then in Freeport at the main organic marketplace. Yes, yes. I'll be there. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. You too. You've been listening to Common Ground Radio, a production of the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association in conjunction with WERU 89.9 FM Blue Hill. Common Ground Radio airs on the second Thursday of each month at 4 p.m. right here on WERU FM. Big thanks to my guest, Emily Springer, for welcoming me so warmly to her farm, as well as to our producer, Claire Boland. Now I'm joined by my co-host, Holly Cedarholm, because as the listeners are likely aware, WERU's Spring Fun Drive is happening this week and ends on May 13th. Hi, Holly. How are you? Hi, Caitlin. I'm doing well, and I'm happy to join you and chat about why I support WERU. Volunteer powered, the voice of many voices, WERU is committed to public affairs programming rooted in the community. For example, this program, Common Ground Radio, which is produced in partnership with the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, also known as MOFCA. Each month, Holly and I connect with local farmers, gardeners, homesteaders, scientists, and others involved in local food and agriculture in Maine. These conversations often explore how a local food system, vibrant communities, and a healthy environment are interconnected. And environmental stewardship is just one of the guiding values of WERU Community Radio. And it's at the core of many of the programs I like to tune into. Me too. We both love The Nature of Phenology, which explores nature with hosts Hazel Stark and Joe Horn. Yes, absolutely. I love that show. And there's also What Mama Wants, which dives into environmental awareness with Kate Manahan. There's also Coastal Conversations. And I know I look forward to Climate Connections every weekday morning. It airs at 6.30 while I'm driving into town for my swim. Yeah, there's so many great programs. Um, I could name off quite a few. I'm a huge fan of the Sunday Morning Coffee House. A friend of mine DJs it sometimes. And I always love it when the stars align and I can tune into New Potatoes on Sunday afternoons. Great music on that one. It's all made possible by listener support. So if you like what you hear on Common Ground Radio and other shows on WERU, please consider making a donation today. Yep, it's easy to donate. You can donate online at any time at weru.org. You can also donate on the WERU app where you can find a full archive of all the shows we mentioned and more for on-demand listening. Thank you for making community radio happen through a donation today. Large or small, it all adds up to contribute to sustaining independent community-focused radio. 
Now stay tuned for more great programming coming up next on WERU 89.9 FM, Blue Hill.